Welcome to Superlative. I am your podcast host, Ariel Adams. In each episode, you will meet someone who has inspired or takes inspiration from today's wristwatch industry. Every week, let's dive deep into the world of crafting exotic timepieces from the people who dream them up to the people who dream of them. It's time to get started and meet today's guest. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. My guest today is Ben Kufer. He's the co-founder and CEO of Norcane. Ben, welcome. Hi, Ariel. How are you? I'm I'm very well. Uh, I've it's been a while that I've wanted to have you on the show. For a while, you remember we were planning to have you and Jean Claude Biver come as a duo, and then we decided let's have you come. So it's 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 a little bit late in the coming because I wanted to have you on in the show a lot earlier on. Will you accept my apology? <laughs> thank you very much. Well, thank you first of all for having me. I'm really happy to to do this podcast with you, and I'm sure we'll manage to find a date where both Jean Claude and I will be available, and you, of course, because you're also always running around. I think that's sort of a good way of maybe starting uh, the conversation. Is that, and this is not at the start of Norcane, but after a few years into it, this legendary character who was in a semi-retired state announced that he was going to be on the board of Norcane and that he had chosen you uh, to be someone he would mentor. And he's had a lot of offers, right? A lot of people would love for Jean-Claude to be their mentor. Talk a little bit about that situation and maybe what that means to you. And then also, what does that actually mean for Norcane? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, it's a, a very special story because actually um, COVID had just started. It was um, around April, Easter 2020. Um, stores closed for since two weeks here in Switzerland. And I'm obviously, you know, uh, very stressed and thinking about, you know, how can we as a two-year-old company get through this crisis? And um, one morning, uh, it was Easter Friday. I had a couple of glasses of red wine with my wife the night before. I wake up, uh, my daughter who, who woke us up early, and I look at the phone and I see Jean-Claude Beaver, um, you know, an email from him. Um, most people don't know, but I, I didn't personally know Jean-Claude up to that uh, day. Um, I was an admirer, like everybody, uh, like all the young generation, I think in our watch industry, we look up to him. As, as a legend um, yeah. who has done, you know, a lot of great things for our industry. So I'm like, is this a real email? You know, is this a spam? <laughs> is this a... And uh, it's literally him, super nice email uh, saying, you know, I've heard uh, a lot of good things about Norcane, that you're a very young team, average age 30 years old. And of course, this must be quite a difficult situation for you guys. If you ever want to talk, uh, shoot me an email. I'm in uh, Cromontana. It's only uh, two hours away, and I'll happily uh, pass. And my wife, this, this is incredible, you know. So I, I wrote, of course, directly back that I'm, I'm super happy to get this uh, email from him, and that, of course, directly next week after Easter, I'd be super happy to welcome him any day. Um, the offices were anyway closed huh, uh, in Switzerland, so I said it's uh, so. And we met, and uh, he came. He came to Nidau. And uh, to give you like the, the full version, it started and uh, I, I had not even really heard the news of him not being at LVMH anymore. Um, I had heard the, you know, the, of course, we were all sometime a bit worried about his health. Uh, that news had spread. 
um, but I wasn't sure what his actual role was. And eventually he told me that he was now uh, not anymore, you know, in an official role and that he just wanted to help um, existing brands and that he looked at Norcane and he sees a uh, big potential. Interesting. And, yeah, so I was, I was in that room uh, still trying to understand what's happening and great energy, right? A lot of passion. He's asking me, you know, why did we do this? I explained that I thought it was really important for the Swiss watch industry to once have a new story. Um, most um, brands are here for 100 years and I really respect, you know, the, the heritage of our industry. But I think it's also important to have new stories, innovation, new new brands come to market and that this was not really in the, the Swiss watch industry's DNA. And I could see it there when I said that, like that, that really resonated uh, for him, with him. And he said, well, in terms of product, would you be open to do a, a completely different watch, you know? Uh, something that really is going full into the core of the Norcane DNA, being a sports watch, and we should call it the ultimate sports watch. And it was in that same first meeting that walking out of the door, he said, listen, uh, if you're motivated, I will come and see some suppliers with you and we kick off this project. <laughs> so it's it's an unbelievable story. Um, wow. Everything happened like at the end, you know, you don't really realize. What was realize... going through your mind? Like what what were you thinking all this time? Because it seems... It, it seems like he wanted you to go a certain direction, and it's hard to say no to someone like that. It's a, it's a very, it's the type of situation you don't have any preparation for, right? Zero. I mean, I, and of course, before going to the office, and I knew I would be alone, you know, which adds to, to the moment because you're alone in your office. You're reminded that nobody's working here at the moment. Uh, you're reminded of the low sales of the moment, you know. Yeah, because it's COVID. And, yeah. Yeah, it's COVID, and you're and and you're you're going to have John Colbert at the office soon. So you prefer to have him when you have all the people running around and telling him that the business is going like crazy, right? So um, he came to the office, but I told him about all the good things that had happened, right? That we had uh, built a distribution of uh, around 70 uh, retailers in 12 countries. We had just announced the Kennedy movements before the, uh, the COVID. And we had sold a couple of thousand watches in the first year, which showed us that, you know, the brand definitely had the potential and and that people were uh, willing to give us their trust and support. So, um, yeah, what went through my mind in that meeting was the whole time, what is he thinking <laughs> for the first one hour, right? And uh, eventually I could just feel the energy in the room and it was so natural at the end that we started to say, let's do a watch together. No discussion about salary, no discussion about shareholding. And I think it just says everything about Jean-Claude. He was there that day looking at a young brand, uh, young people with passion, and he loved that, and he wanted to support us. I'm going to ask you a question, and you, you're, you're able to see it firsthand. Uh, Jean-Claude is someone who uh, does not seem to like the idea of not working, uh, always likes to have his hands on something. He's a builder, he's a people person, he's a connector, he, he, he loves creating emotion. What do you think he's looking for at this phase in his career, because this is a person who does not need to work. I think that's important to say. He doesn't. He he's made a, a good amount of money. He he's independently wealthy at this point. He wants to do these things. He does not have to do these things. And so my question is, what do you think his current motivations are? I think you know you you summed it up. And um, what he what he really is motivated now for the Swiss watch industry he says I, I I learned a lot. I have a lot of experience. I've, I've 
did a lot of things right. I've done some mistakes and I want to pass that on to the next generation. I want to pass on that know-how. And uh, um, that was really something, you know, that when we had the discussion, he said to me, listen, I want you to take your decisions. But of course, I'm always here. If you call me, I can tell you, you know, to a lot of situations, I've been there. I know what you're going through. I've built brands. So that was really the, the moment I realized his, his mission now um, after his career was really to say, okay, I'm going to pass on my know-how and hopefully Norcan could be a brand that could benefit from that. And he loved the fact that we were employing, you know, uh, young, young employees from the region here in Bien, uh, people who the parents are, are often already worked in the watch industry. So the generations are, are continued and he's really motivated by the big picture of the Swiss watch industry. And I think Norcan was a, a, a good moment, you know, because uh, we were a two-year-old company, uh, young and very passionate uh, team. So it was really a great fit. I, I have one thing to point out, you probably already know this, but he's someone who likes to be needed and likes it when you call him and ask him questions. So I guess the advice is do that as much as possible, because I think that that's probably something he missed. Because once he was out of LVMH, what probably stopped was all these people calling him all day long, emailing him. He was someone who had a notoriety for responding to emails very, very quickly. And when that more or less turned off, and people stopped asking for his help and maybe just started asking for money or something. He must have thought, wait a minute, this is this is something I miss. How can I how can I help in a way where people call me and, and, and truly need me? Right? Yeah, I think it's a big part also of his choice, you know, with with Norcane. And now, of course, we started with that watch, um, that meeting in 2020. Today, things have developed. He's an advisor of the board and uh, even a shareholder at Norcane. But that's because we 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 have a relationship where he sees and that I listen, right? I'm, I I I have a clear. Uh, idea. Um, the baby, Norken is my baby. And I, I, I always say I'm very, of course, uh, in love with it. And I have a clear idea of how to bring it up and raise it. But Jean-Claude um, is always there. And I really listen to him. Like uh, when he gives me an input, I always take it in. Uh, I, I look at what I've was planning and this is, is this uh, you know how could we put these two things these two inputs together and I think that's something that he really respects uh, in 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 the in the personality and DNA of this brand is that he can have an impact and that not everything is like yeah well that was 20 years ago now it's different um, I think we we listen and and that's something that's really really important. Now, the watch that resulted from the relationship so far is called the Wild One, and it's a collection, and it's a shock-resistant watch. And I'm just curious, where did the idea to make a shock-resistant mechanical watch come from exactly? Yeah, you're getting me to, to a very interesting phase of the collaboration with Jean-Claude, because, of course, that was that first meeting, uh, walking out, as I said, Ultimate Sports Watch was the subject, right? It was like the, the title of this project. But right. after that, we started and, uh, yeah, we made, of course, we said, what is an ultimate sports watch? Well, it's it's very light, right? You don't want to feel it. Um, it has to be shock uh, resistant. And I was like, okay, so we could do something like maybe like, uh, you know, titanium. I was more in the standards. They said, no, 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 uh, definitely not. We're going to develop our own material. So that was the moment I realized, okay, forget the five, six toolings that I was planning for. As you might know, in the watch industry, the tooling is a very big subject because it's yeah. really a major investment. And for a young brand like us, 
uh, you really look at the toolings and the cost of the the development of a of a timepiece. How much of those toolings you will we're gonna need? Uh, we ended up at uh, 13 for the wild one, so nice. we doubled. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was nice, and uh, it made me laugh a couple of times. Um, but uh, no, but of course we knew that this was going to be a special timepiece and that we wanted to invest into it. And it was the perfect decision to go with our own material. It resulted in the Nortec material uh, that is uh, three times lighter even than titanium. It's right. ultra robust. Um, I can say that, you know, some some of our very first Wild One customers have always been we- almost been wearing the, the timepiece for a year now. I get a lot of feedback of, you know, it's still looking like day one, uh, great resistance, very comfortable. So I'm very, very happy about that um, because it was really something that we said. We said we don't only want an ultimate sports watch. We want it to be super robust. People must not be afraid to wear it when they go mountain biking, when they go skiing, uh, even if they play tennis, uh, you know, whatever sports they are doing. I think it's really important that they know that they can wear the wild one. And uh, yeah, so that was really the the moment with Jean-Claude where we started to challenge the suppliers. It was about different materials. It was about, you know, uh, how could we build the timepiece in a way that it's very modular, that we can do different designs. And I think we really showed that at the first launch when you were with us in October in Zermatt in 2022. We had, you know, two materials, if you want. We had the Black Nortec and the Burgundy Nortec, which was a, a world premiere uh, because we actually colored the carbon fibers. Uh, it wasn't like a forged carbon. It was really staying very robust because we, we uh, colored the carbon fibers themselves. But now this year, yeah. the, the, the turquoise is a total summer watch. So for me, that first collection in October resonated for the mountain and like even the skiing season, khaki, dark blue, you know, colors that were very, let's say, adventurous uh, yeah. all year long. But now the same timepiece, we managed to make a super summer watch of it uh, by, by adding just different elements, different rubber parts. And I think that's the strength of, of, of this uh, timepiece. Where did the idea to have the amount of exposed rubber come from? Because I think it's one of the most novel elements of the design. I think it works well. I think it's uh, very interesting. And I, I, I'm sure not everyone agreed with it. Some people must have thought that, you know, that was not the right way. Talk a little bit about uh, this, this, this idea that rubber now becomes much more um, than sort of an accent, but really an integral part of the concept in the case material. Yeah, it's, it was, of course, a, a big part of the discussion because literally when we went through um, and we looked at the case construction of the, the Wild One and we were starting to realize that we were on a 25-piece uh, case, which wasn't uh, that easy to, to you know accept at the beginning. We tried to reduce it, but it was just the best way to build the, the, the case. Mm-hmm. Um, we realized that you know just Nortec, okay, it's good, but we don't really have that element of you know, additional shock resistance, uh, it will be ultra robust, of course, but like many sports watches, they're supposed to be built to be very robust. And that's where Pascal Burkhardt, uh, he's the CEO of Biwi. Uh, Biwi, they are a very reputed uh, supplier of most of the, the, the high-end, very high-end rubber straps in our industry for right. very, very leading brands. And uh, he started to give a bit this idea of combining the Nortec like a cage and bringing in rubber as a as a absorber, and that that would you know also help to absorb shocks on the crown. It would help to absorb shocks on the plate uh, where the Norcan plate is, and literally having that surround the the timepiece, and then have the Nortec cage, which is very strong, above it, right, and below it. 
And uh, yeah, that was that was like that that meeting. We started to look into the possibilities of design. Of course, rubber you have a lot of colors, right? And uh, there's a very different qualities of rubber. Uh, you won't find the, the same rubber on, on Richard Mill straps that you will find on, on right. Enterprise straps. So we were looking into really that high quality rubber, using that, coloring it, uh, which of course there's a lot of opportunities uh, versus just the stainless steel case. And um, we found that, you know what, this is exactly what we need for the wild one. It's young, it's fresh, it's different. Um, the customer doesn't just have rubber. He has the Nortec, the Nor Norcane property material surrounding it with that Nortec case. It just felt like a cool sports watch, right? <laughs> and that's the moment we decided that's it. That's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to have rubber as a, as a shock absorbing element um, surrounding that uh, container, which is actually... Um, to explain the wild one, you have the container with the Kennedy movement in it or with the skeleton. That's, um, where, that's where you get your titanium. That's, that's yeah, where it is. Exactly. That's where <laughs> the got, titanium is. You got it in there, there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> had, we have it somewhere, exactly. So we have the titanium cage in there and um, it's, it's uh, actually housing the movement and it's also what's making the watch water resistant. So the water resistance is guaranteed by the container, and then you just surround it with the rubber shock absorber, you with the the Nortec cage, um, and and of course the elements, the screws, etc. That we that we need that they're all made on measure. And you know that Ariel, that that's not that easy. Uh, we prefer to in the Swiss watch industry, we prefer to have standard screws. Um, but uh, here we went with screws that we actually made to measure to fit perfectly the the case. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's when you come to prices where one screw costs what normally a part of the case would cost. So yeah, we really try to do things that, you know, watch enthusiasts would recognize um, that you would see the quality in, in the detail. And um, I think that's the result of the wild one. We really, uh, we have a timepiece that has a lot of our passion in it. A lot of, you know, five years of Norcane. Uh, we came up with an innovative concept and I think it's a, it was a great milestone for our five years. It is a great story. And one of the questions has to do with sort of the real world um, performance. I, I know that this concept has worked very, very well for Casio with their G-Shock. Mm -hmm. um, in your testing, what did you find in terms of the real world performance of this structure as actually being able to help um, a, a shock that would otherwise really damage, even break, or at least, you know, un unwantingly disrupt uh, what would happen in another watch if it fell? Yeah, so I don't know if if um, this is um, you know something that everybody knows, but usually you test a Swiss timepiece at 5,000 G, um, especially, the, of course, I'm talking about the resistant sports watches, right? That's like a first benchmark. Hey, this watch is very, very resistant. We did that. That's the, the test in our industry, and we really excelled on it, meaning that uh, our watch, uh, immediately the feedback was, you know, uh, Excellent, uh, excellent resistance. Of course, the shock on it is very much absorbed by the rubber part. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have that very hard Nortec and just the whole construction. Then we did other tests that are not typical G tests, which is literally like the mountain bike test. You're, you have vibrations on the watch all the time and you can measure what gets to the movement, right? Just how much of that pressure is going to the movement. And we absorb about 10 times more than a stainless steel or titanium watch, uh, those, those uh, uh, reactions to the movement. So uh, then the next stage is, uh, you, 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 this is a longer process and we hope we'll be there soon. We're trying to excel um, and go to the 10,000 G. 
uh, test. So for cool. that, for that, yeah, there's only one famous brand who's done that so far. Uh, you, you know which one, and um, that's that's going to be now for us the, a big test. We didn't we didn't announce uh, anything on it. We're going to see how that goes. It would be amazing because our movement was, as you know, not constructed for it. Um, it's a difference when if you, for example, if you take the example of of uh, a movement that has been constructed to absorb shocks. Obviously, you have an advantage in that test. But uh, yeah, we're we're definitely doing very very well uh, on the way there, and uh, I can say that the wild one is definitely uh, a great great sports watch. So for for all our customers who are enjoying it, really don't be afraid. I've been wearing it for everything, uh, mountain biking, uh, which which is always a good test, right? <laughs> because that's usually where you do get a little bit of uh, issues, and it's 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 really great to wear. I, I'm not wearing one right now because I don't have one to wear right now, but I can attest to the fact that it's very light, very comfortable, and and it's good to hear what you're saying, but I felt really, you know, that it was appropriate for those things. I also rode a bike with it. I did hiking with it, and you don't you don't worry, and I think that something about seeing the construction, seeing how the materials fit together, creates a mental sense of safety um, yep. that is a little bit different than some of the other watches, and, you know, in the scheme of variety and luxury timepieces, those little differences matter because it means that we have a different experience. And I think that at the end of the day, that's that's what we like to buy in new watches. It's a different experience than the other watch that we have, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, for for Norcan, obviously, you know, we we often talk about this. We're we're five years in the market. We understand that a, a lot of people who are you know looking at pictures on the internet or reading reading a, a blog to watch articles or other articles, they haven't maybe seen the watch in real. And it's really really important for us to to have such a great distribution network helping us to actually allow customers to touch and feel because it's impossible, in my opinion, impossible to to analyze. A wild one timepiece without seeing it. Uh, it's it's really a very complicated timepiece to judge on a picture um, because of of many aspects. The the Nortec material is matte, so you don't really get the 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 same effect. And when you're actually wearing it, I'm sure you agree, Ariel, that you know there's a there's a high marble effect on it uh, yeah. when you actually see it, which try on pictures to get it out but it's never never that easy um, and I think that's really uh, the key so for 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 us I'm happy that you 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 were happy wearing the the timepiece I'm of course trying to get as much feedback as possible from the customers uh, that have bought a wild one um, since since the launch and I'm, I'm really happy to see that um, I can say everybody is is very happy or even more convinced by it now wearing it 10 months later than they were in the beginning literally saying listen I, I, I don't take it off it's so comfortable comfortable and it's difficult for me to put on a, another watch at the moment because it's I don't feel it when it's there right so that's that's very cool I think when it first came out one of the things I realized was how long word of this innovation uh, would take to get to sort of your regular watch lover and that's sort of been the interesting thing of this industry is that as fast as information travels people accept novelty, as slowly as ever. And even if they see a picture of it or they hear about it on the internet, it it can take years for them to be like, you know what, maybe it is for me. And I don't always know how to quantify that, but I always want to sort of advocate for a degree of patience. And it's sort of like you planted the seed now and there's a little bit of excitement, but you know, get ready for what's going to happen 10 years from now. And then as, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're like, what, 10 years from now? But I think now you know, because you've been in the industry long enough, to see how these type of genre-defying 
uh, or, or slightly changing new evolutions of things, the industry really takes a while to accept it, even after experts and tastemakers and things like that have already said, like, okay, Ben, you did a great thing. Um, but the market is slower, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I remember in Zermatt, uh, we had uh, our meeting together and you said to me, Ben, this is going to be a watch that you really have to explain. I, I, I fully understand <laughs> it, you know, and uh, I'm, I really see everything you've done. It's amazing. And I, that made me, of course, very happy. I mean, in general, the feedback, as you as you remember, in Zermatt was amazing from all the, the – uh, but we had time, right? We had two days together we could show we, you could wear it to go mountain biking uh, yeah. I think the whole watch and concept was explained and I remember saying goodbye to Jean-Claude at the train station and he said to me uh, now from here and for many years you'll be talking about what is the wild one and and I knew what he meant. It's like, it's such a big, you know, it was a big milestone for the company and it will take time. And we're very patient. We're, you know, we're a, a family owned company. We, we look at things with a long-term vision. I wanted to create a timepiece that I knew that people would maybe sometimes not love. Others would totally love it, but that would be a huge, important uh, milestone for the brand because it's different, because it's a timepiece that does you know give emotions uh, positive or negative and i think that's what's very important when you're a brand is to accept that you're not doing watches for everybody this timepiece was developed for people who are open for something different for something new love sports obviously and and, and want a timepiece on their wrist where they can say hey you know what i can be active with it i'm literally wearing my smartwatch in a way on my wrist but i i, I have a, a mechanical uh, timepiece um a high quality swiss uh, timepiece on the wrist it, it's awesome. It's a fun watch, and I, I recommend people check out a wild one uh, as soon as they can. Uh, let's let's change topics because there's so much to discuss, and I want to talk about the Norcane brand a little bit more in general. And a hard question to start, especially when you're meeting maybe a new retailer or someone that you want uh, to understand the brand. What do you say to them are your goals with the brand? And that can mean what do you want to do with it for the next few years? What are you trying to do that other watch brands haven't done? Do you have some special access that allows you to design or make or sell watches better than others? Help explain what you designed Norcane to do at least a little bit different than the others. Yeah, you know, the strategy, so going back to 2018, my, my uh, analysis was really, like I said, we need in the Swiss watch industry to have independent brands. And there's a huge independence movement in the higher price ranges. Um, and also, I can say, uh, of course, in the US, you have some really cool brands that are independent brands that are in price ranges that are affordable. But here in Switzerland, as you know, they're becoming very rare. Uh, first of all, many brands have increased prices. So if they're producing here in Switzerland with the leading suppliers, the prices have gone, I would say, closer to 10,000 than to 5,000. And on the other hand, also, there are very few independent brands like remaining. Um, most of the brands have joined big luxury groups. So I felt that like for, for the Swiss watch industry, it was really important to have independent brands. Why? Independent brands, I think we have uh, a mission or uh, we, we should have the mission to think or look at everything with a very long-term vision. That means you innovate and you invest and you will gain uh, your fruits later in, in, in life. And I think that often leads to great products. And if you look at uh, MBNF or uh, Moser or these guys, 
who are really role models in the indie movement here in Switzerland. That's exactly what they're doing. So I wanted that DNA to be, you know, in the in the price range, as I said from the beginning, around 2,000 to 6,000. Now, the difficulty was, of course, to explain 2,000 to 6,000 is still a lot of money. And um, I think you know me well enough, Ariel, to know that I know that, right? Uh, I'm uh, I'm here in in Bien. It's a working city. Uh, my father was not uh, was the generation who turned to a to an entrepreneur. Up to that, we were, we were a working uh, family, and uh, my father then became the entrepreneur and passed on the genes of hard work to us. So I think that something that really resonated for me was to offer quality. Um, bring back quality. If we do that price range, that means I want to work with the best suppliers in, in our industry. And I started to talk with them in 2018. It was not easy, as you can imagine. Uh, zero sales so far, uh, zero retail partners, zero brand, like no marketing yet. So I was really selling this vision of an independent Swiss watch brand with passionate people uh, leading it and true partnerships between suppliers and also then later on the retailers so that was my analysis and that's how i started norcane in my head saying that's my mission and a mission always gives you passion and the passion gives you the energy to go through you know all the hard times and challenges that of course we faced in the first uh, i would say one to two years you said something interesting that you perceive that switzerland needed more of these independent brands that were a little bit more affordably priced. Why is that exactly? Yeah, I think, you know, like I said, I think independent brands, they they give that, there's a special spark to it, right? You have, I can say, no pressure from the shareholders. Uh, so it's not it's not a profit that you're chasing. You're literally chasing the next great story, the next great product. And um, that that should always be the, the, the mission of an independent brand. And I feel like that's a big advantage. It's an advantage because you take quick decisions, you're very active, dynamic in the market. And I believe that not having that in the Swiss watch industry in that entry price is is not good. And um, that's why also I felt, okay, then that's my mission. I'm going to try and establish uh, with a lot of passionate young uh, people from the industry that brand that hopefully in 10, 20 years we can say, hey, we're a challenger brand. We want to challenge the status quo. We're here to, you know, first, of course, the base was to offer great quality. Uh, I told you that before. That was really difficult for me in the beginning because you have to build the first base of a pyramid. And the first base is not you build a wild one. <laughs> the first base is you make sure that you find the best suppliers and make a great timepiece um, with with high quality uh, that will resonate with I can say, a, a larger amount of customers. And then we built the second layer in 2020 with the manufacturer calibers of Kennedy. And then in 2022, we added the innovation part. Um, and of course, as when you build a brand, I, I knew about those steps or I was planning those steps. But it's very difficult where you're in phase one and people are asking for phase two or phase three, not to say, you know, yeah, but that's coming, that's coming. You have to, you have to stay very loyal to your plan and go step by step. Certain brands, and I know that you've noticed this, have this funny sense of like, after a certain while, they get out of their own price comfort zone, meaning they've done such a good job at making a watch at a price point and connecting with a community that wants to buy watches at those price point. And then they change the price point and then they 
sort of freak out. They're like, oh my God, we're the, our, our community's gone. Well, yeah, they don't didn't want to buy watch at that price point. So I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, what happens? Why is it that brands find themselves having success, then they move out of the price point, somehow unknowingly uh, lose uh, the, the customer base they created? Um, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't think you're going to make this mistake, but I'm just curious from your perspective, why do you think that happens? It's difficult. It's difficult to say. Uh, of course, it, it, there is one side to the story that things are getting more expensive. You know, we have to. That has to be uh, acknowledged. Um, I see it too. Um, negotiations, looking at uh, inflation and prices going up, but it's not, of course, um, the the full story. And I think you know that's where the opportunity lies for 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 us, um, for brands who who really define. Listen, okay. There's, there might be a potential going higher price because you need to sell less watches to make more profits. For me, it's the other way around. I would love to have more Norcane customers around the world, more of Norcane watches on the wrists and, and really build that community and be measured by how many people actually love the product. Um, we're not chasing the, the, the profits at the moment. So I'm not saying it's the only reason, but of course, it's, it's, it's one thing that, that definitely makes sense when you see that the watch uh, exports are declining uh, in, in quantities, but not in value. I think it leads you to say, well, it's easy. Then you just increase the price and, <laughs> yeah, and you, you have to sell less watches, but you increase the price, right? And, and that's, that's uh, I think, something that is a big challenge for our industry. So my mission at Norcane, together with the team, is really to say no, but we want to be part of the solution on a very small scale. Uh, I understand that, that we're a, a small brand, but we want to uh, contribute to the amount of pieces sold in this industry. Hi, this is Ariel Adams, founder of A Blog to Watch, with a message about eBay. I visit eBay daily and have been relying on eBay to learn about and acquire watches for more than 20 years. Did you know that you can now buy watches directly from brands or their authorized dealers on eBay? Timepieces coveted by watch enthusiasts from brands like Zodiac, Loco, Parallel, and more are part of eBay's Certified by Brand program. Here's how it works. Luxury names are partnering with eBay to bring brand new and pre-owned watches and other luxury accessories directly to you. Certified by brand includes a minimum one-year factory warranty for watches and offers an unprecedented selection of new and used watches directly from the source, all with the peace of mind you can expect from eBay. Visit ebay.com slash certified by brand for more information. It's an interesting discussion while you're talking about it. I'm thinking about it. And this really began with the Omega experiment in the USA around the beginning of the, the 2000s, Omega um, really steeply increased price points in the US and was surprised that sales actually continued, but of course at a higher um, margin. And they thought that they were just like insulated, um, their product was so great and that you know their, their consumers would just stick with it and love it. What actually ended up happening is they started selling to a completely different demographic so they stopped selling to a lot of the same people because they fundamentally moved out of the price point and they were just lucky that there was a population out there that just happened to want a product like Omega at that price point. But what I see happens is that brands spend all this time and effort and, and money to develop a community and consumer 
And for whatever reason, especially in Switzerland, they don't see that consumers are highly unforgiving. If you charge just a little bit more than what they want to spend, you lost them and they're moving on to something else. This idea of loyalty um, doesn't necessarily go along if you price yourself out of their price point. There's a lot of psychology behind it. And so I see it as being cheaper <laughs> to find some other way of making more money from the people who already like you than say, you know what, we're going to stop selling to them and hope that there's a group of people out there to want to buy our product at a higher price point. You see what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you know, we just have to be careful, and that's a uh, general. Of course, I'm Swiss. I'm neutral, <laughs> so uh, I won't. I can't comment on 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 you know different uh, different uh, brands. But what I can say is, just as an industry, uh, I can speak out for that. I think um, we can. We really have to be careful to to remain relevant um, for for also the younger generations. And if it's normal to launch uh, steel watches over ten thousand, I think that's not going to be the case. And for that, we really need to make sure that we have uh, a strong, strong, strong entering offering. And, and uh, I think for that, we need also big brands uh, to continue to have good timepieces uh, in that price range. And that means competition for us, of course. So why am I saying that? But no, that's because I realize that, of course, it's super important to have, you know, the strong swatch group, to have uh, uh, brands like Tag, etc., continuing to make people dream around the world. You know, I think that's really important. You obviously have a long-term vision, and as you know, there's a lot of interesting issues that pop up running a watch brand that you don't see for the first several years that only come later. Um, and one of the interesting things I've seen has to do with the relationship with suppliers. And what I mean by that is that if the suppliers see you doing well, they feel like they need to tax you more. And one of the reasons that brands end up charging more is because suppliers are charging them more for the same thing because they think they're a successful rich brand and now they can, they can afford it. And so I'm wondering, in your opinion, what's the right way to mix not, of course, having to make all your own stuff in-house and relying on suppliers, but also being able to grow and to insulate yourself from these, un these rising costs that have to, to do with your, you know, your perceived success? Yeah, I think you know that's that's a big subject. Of course, I mean I'm, I'm lucky to have uh, some of the suppliers in the Jura are really close friends. Um, but I have to say to their defense, their costs are also really increasing. Like uh, I have one friend who actually showed me uh, the electricity comparison five years ago with now. Uh, he has a lot of a couple hundred employees up in the Jura. You know, just to give me some examples of why he also has to then um, increase uh, prices. So. I think at the end, you know, it's it's really it's a difficult subject. Um, you have on the one side, you have I think customers. I'm sure, you agree on that. Uh, today are so well educated, uh, social media, etc. The expectations of what the brand should deliver is is extremely high. So I always say, you know, like uh, when we get uh, when we sometimes get a feedback that a, a product with a, a manufactured Kennedy movement that's three thousand five hundred dollars is is expensive. I'm like. Okay, but like, where is the? What is the benchmark? What are we comparing with? Because it's just impossible uh, to not see that that's a very competitive price, you know. And I think that's that's very important to understand that we are in Switzerland, um, that we are we are producing in a in a high price country. Uh, it's a super super expensive country, um, but we have this huge know-how within the industry here in Switzerland. So I think that's something that leads to to a part of that price, right? The other the other side of it is, of course, the brands want to meet those customer expectations. Also, 
we are Norcane, sorry, we want to meet those customer expectations. And so it also increases prices, right? Like you're automatically in Chronometer certified, you're automatically. So a part of the, the increasing prices is there. And of course, the bigger part is what we discussed before is literally just, uh, yeah, uh, lower quantities uh, lead to, unfortunately, higher prices. It's an, it's an interesting conversation, though, because most consumers don't re- recognize that what we're talking about is part of that delicate formula that makes it so a brand is or is not even economically viable. And exactly. so this is what is on the mind of the CEOs like Ben out there when they decide to do something and they want to work with a supplier, they want to invest in something. You know, there's a, it's just building watches. And, you know, uh, this last week, uh, big news. By the time you hear this, this will probably be not as fresh news. But Bucherer, uh purchased, you know, purchased by Rolex. Okay, <laughs> this is, you know, this is obviously an, an incredible thing, and people are like, "Oh, Rolex really wants to get directly in the retail." And, and what I remind them is like, "No, Rolex for many years doesn't matter how rich they are, still relies on the retailers is is." you know, cash payments to fund the production runs. It's so expensive and it's so much risk to produce a, a line of watches that even Rolex doesn't want to pay for it. And, 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 and I think that that's such a crucial thing to understand that, you're, I mean, you're almost putting, it's, it's like gambling, right? Like here's, here's several million dollars on the roulette table. Let's see what happens. I mean, how, how do you explain it? Yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're right. You're, you're investing in what you hope that customers will love, right? Uh, if you look at our, our, our uh, journey, you start, you invest into three collections and, and hope that because there's three different collections, you have the innovative sports watch with the independence, the modern sports watch with the rotating bezel, which is the adventure, and the vintage sports watch, which is the freedom. You have those three collections. That's your first investment. Then came the manufacturer caliber with Kennedy, uh, where we said, you know what? We want to offer our customers and our fans manufacturer calibers, uh, not in-house. I was always very clear about that. They're produced in Lollockland in partnership with Kennedy. But um, I think it's, it's really, a, it was a key milestone for us to say you want 70 hours power reserve uh, you want uh, a very robust uh, movement uh, with a two-point uh, bridge fixation system you got it um, that was really and then the third level as we said before innovation right and those are different levels of investment and i think it's really important uh, for a brand to do investments you need to invest because the customer wants to have news and they want to see that you're trying hard to bring excellence into your brand and uh, yeah of course we're often there we de- we take decisions and uh, I often say we we sit around the table and uh, we look at our sellout machines and hope that we we see people buying our watches and sharing them on instagram and being happy about the products that we release I'm changing topics again now to commerce. And right now, uh, Norcane is a brand that could be purchased directly from the Norcane.com website, or you have a network of retailers. You're a company that has decided to have a, a blended approach, if you will, uh, where you, you, you have different distribution means. I've actually said that um, brands moving forward will, will not be able to rely on one distribution mean. Uh, two three, four, maybe even up to 10 different distribution means could be normal for some brands in the future. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your decision uh, to have both of these, uh, uh, you know, these, these streams of, of commerce um, and what you think uh, the future holds in terms of that type of uh, diversity. You know, uh, as a 
as uh, at the time I was uh, 30 years old and when I told some of my you know first uh, really close friends what we were doing and they, they all expected to say that it was a e-commerce only business right uh, literally uh, oh the guy knows the suppliers and then he brings great products to the market e-commerce only but the problem was that for me it was very clear from the beginning that we had to go with a hybrid mod- model if you want to build a brand and you want people to experience the the quality a touch and feel um, you need you need strong partners, and we have those contacts. I mean, if you take the U.S. market, it's a great example, uh, a beautiful market because there's still so many family-owned uh, independent retailers in the market yeah. with passion, with customers who love watches. And of course, we had also observed that there has a bit a trend, you know, of you know reducing um, to big cities and not being in the smaller cities anymore. I think that's. The, the worst decision of uh, this industry, um, personally, because we need to do the opposite. We need to be there. We need to, for all the families who love watches and have a store, we need to support them and make sure they get great products to the store and help us spread the passion for, for mechanical watches. So for me, it was clear that we wanted to work with retailers. For me, it was clear that if we have an e-shop, we give back to the retailers. Uh, and as you know, we have this reservation model where you can reserve the timepiece. So it's literally just a pickup at the store. It goes extremely well we we receive like for the turquoise now that currently isn't in stock we receive every week a, a great amount of reservations for the retailers who can literally just contact the customer and say hey i'll get the watch in, in you know in a month uh, and and uh, you can pick it up on that date so i think it's it's about working closely together i also agree uh, ariel on the distribution models there's going to be a lot of changes um, of course today we have already boutiques and e-commerce and retailers but uh, there's also you know platforms moving into the market that are becoming stronger and stronger and i think it's just about you know you need to interact with the customer and you need to be there where he wants you to be and that's what we're trying to find what's the next step um and and we'll do it together with our partners who have been a huge support uh, bringing us to where we are today do you think the internet needs its own version of large department stores because the the department store i think was a great thing for the watch industry in many parts of the world, especially uh, the United States. Uh, of course, the, the business model of the department store was quite disrupted by the internet. But, you know, I guess you could say Amazon is a department store, but it's so big, it completely lacks curation. You know, so I'm thinking like, um, you know, the Neiman Marcuses of the world, but, you know, in a, in a, in a digitally native format, uh, especially for watches, I think could replicate in a lot of ways online some of the value that the multi-brand stores have in person. And I've yet to see some of that innovation. And I'm wondering what you think about the necessity of having department-style stores but that are digital natives. You know, I think it's a very interesting approach um, because when you buy a watch, it's not about only, you know, the, the product, the price, and the, the actual offer that's on hand when you're on e-commerce. For me, it's also about experience. And imagine how cool if you enter a space uh, digitally where you're scrolling for different brands, not products. Huh? It's not you're scrolling down and you have one watch after each other. You're scrolling through stories. You're you're literally going through the, the store. 
And then the, uh, on the right side of the, the corner, you have a talk between uh, Ariel Adams and Max Purser, for example. You know, so yeah. that that's I think that's something that we in our industry we would be capable of doing because we have a lot of watch uh, enthusiasts around the world, very passionate about the watches, and I think that's something that's that's missing today. Um, we obviously we you know we have uh, <laughs> thanks to you, uh, we've been a role model in this regard. We have you know great reports and we have. Uh, we have great articles, but there's, I think there's something that, that will be added. Uh, there will be a next level to it um, that will be an on-demand uh, experience. I've written and I'm writing more about what I call the problem of the fragmentation online. And what I think is happening, and not all brands are affected by it. You may not be as much as others, but the problem is there's too many ways to buy a watch. And this fragmentation in all the different ways. I mean, think about it, the different types of stores, the different types of conditions between new and pre-owned, uh, you know, authorized, not authorized, buying directly from a consumer, in person, offline. It's like for something as niche as a watch, there's there's an inc- insane amount of ways to buy one. And I see that this is a sort of a last mile problem. You know, you can you can make a nice watch, you can let someone know about the nice watch, you can make them love the nice watch, but getting them to buy it. It's still kind of a hard thing. And I think part of the problem is there's just too many options for people and it, it, it causes some type of paralysis. So knowing this, I wonder five, 10 years from now when things sort of calm down, what's the market going to look like? There's probably going to be less, but I don't really know what that consolidation is going to be like, but I know it's going to be good because right now the insane amount of experimentation uh, is, is sort of chaotic. Do you agree or disagree? It's something we discuss quite a lot uh, inside of uh, our HQ. Is like, what is the like, what is the vision of distribution? Like, how is it going <laughs> to look like in 2028? You know, five yeah, years from yeah. here. And I have to say, it, it's super difficult, right, to foresee because exactly what you said. All the providers, everybody can sell a watch. You and I can open a website together and and put and list watches, right? Uh, no problem. And if we do a good job, it might even you know go a little bit viral and 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 eventually it's famous if you look what you know brands like Hodinki managed to do uh, online uh, what you've managed to do with a blog to watch um, I think that's that's where you see the potential of it the, the thing is and you said it correctly there's so many right there's there's it's 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 an endless list and so we're trying to analyze how can we be you know how could you distribute your brand in a way that that has a clear strategy um we often talk about now inside of Norcane where where is the where is the customer going to be in 2028? Like where is he going to be? Uh, where is he going to you know what is he going to do? Uh, do we still believe that he's going to be shopping in malls? Do we believe that he's going to be on the best streets? Do we believe that um, there's a more private aspect to it that we could you know and and it's really difficult to say to be honest. What we what we're sure is that you need an hour of his time. And time is precious, <laughs> so we need to. You need to be somewhere where you know that the person would agree to give you some of his time, right? And uh, time is is very precious, so it's a difficult, uh, very difficult analysis. It's it's of course hard. Do you think that enough people are talking about the? Because your team seems to be ahead of the curve often, but do you think enough people are thinking about this the way that they should? It's a difficult. Uh, it's a difficult discussion because sometimes when you look at it, it would also mean maybe reducing a bit the turnover in some some regards in, in a first step to then make it bigger, of course. But you have to sometimes accept 
that maybe reducing something can be for the good to then sell more again uh, or, in a, or, in a, or in a better way. And I think that's um, always been historically a very difficult uh, part of decision-making. Um, obviously, there's a reason there's a lot of offer and it, it leads to a lot of turnover uh, in the industry for many different segments and not just brands, but also, of course, the, 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 the different offerers uh, that you have. So it's, uh, I think it's going <laughs> to remain a complicated subject. But I have to point this out, Ben, because if anyone can think long term in terms of the culture and the ability to do so, it's the Swiss. So don't you need to show the world what that's like? I think that we have, uh, you know, <laughs> I think that we have a responsibility, but I think also, you know, um, we have a role model uh, a little bit, uh, we can say in our industry, as you know, uh, and uh, was also responsible for that move with Bucher, which was definitely, you know, a worrying fact for a lot of brands. Uh, what's going to happen in the in the next step after, after uh, Mr. Bucher? And I think it's about that long-term vision and uh, who else than Rolex could lead the way in that regard. And they've done a great job in, in many ways already. And I think they're on something with, with what they're doing there too. I think uh, the, the first steps that they've announced in this regard could be uh, a role model to follow. Now, one of the things that I think is important uh, that the Swiss watch industry not, needs to start discussing sooner than later is the marketing of Swissness itself. You know, I, I know that the Swiss-made term uh, has done remarkable things for the industry, has is, is so much value, but it needs to be educated again and again and again. And I wonder, especially because you think about these things, what do you think the industry can be doing now, especially collaboratively, to make Swiss-made uh, a valuable turn, synonymous with all the good values that we want it to be associated with, with the youngest generation today? Swiss Swiss watch, and that's something that, you know, um, I was uh, lucky to see when at my time at Breitling, when I traveled, you know, as a, as a very young person around the world, um, I was really proud to see, you know, how everybody said, oh, Switzerland, they either refer to Roger Federer <laughs> or, or, or the Swiss watch. Uh, those were the two things. And I think that that's really key. And I think we need to keep those values. And when I said before, um, that we needed an independent brand or that I felt that we need to continue to have independent brands. It's also about that, right? Um, it's not, uh, I'm not, um, I'm not uh, being negative or so, but we, we, we don't, uh, we, we don't, we don't have that much Swiss brands remaining that are in Swiss hands really. Uh, and mm -hmm. I think that's something that due to the success of our industry, we really need to make sure that that remains like that and that people who have loved watches forever, uh, I don't know if you saw uh, the podcast at Geneva Watch Days with Max Busser. Uh, his final answer was, what is the biggest threat for the Swiss watch industry? And he said it was uh, literally um, too many people not loving the industry and working in it. And it made me, uh, to be honest, it moved me that answer. I think it's an amazing answer. Uh, I, I, I saw, you know, my father work in this industry, how passionate he was. I was a big admirer of Rolf Schneider, uh, Ulis yeah, Nauda, yeah. Teddy Schneider. Those are all people, they lived day in, day out for, for this industry and they could talk about the dial for three hours. And I think that's really the key uh, for, for this industry, that we keep that passion, that we keep that Swiss passion, uh, because it's really part of our culture here in Switzerland to, to have the mechanical watch. 
Well, you know, I, I, going to what you're saying, you know, you have to educate more and more people that watchmaking is an art form in addition to a luxury category or a scientific instrument. And to do this, you need to educate people all around of the art, not just uh, the, the status element of it. And that is a, a, that is a bigger, longer-term thing to do. And it, of course, requires collaboration. Um, I want to talk just a little bit about something that has been very exciting for the brand, and that has been some of the people who are wearing it, speaking of, of course, reaching young people. Uh, but tennis, uh, of course, is a very popular sport. And you've had some interesting involvement now in tennis that involves your product, being worn on the court. Uh, talk a little bit about that. <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a crazy story. So uh, there's two stories, right? Uh, there's two Swiss players at the US Open at the moment, both qualified uh, for round three, which is amazing. But we have Dominic Stricker. Uh, he's a young player, 21 years old. And we've supported Dominic since the start, more or less, of Norcane. Um, he was a very young player. Uh, he's from the region. Um, and uh, he had won Roland Garros, the juniors tournament. So, of oh, course, cool. high potential. Um, and we, we spoke together. We had a great mix. And then, you know, it's a journey together. We're developing the brand. He's developing his career, obviously very young. And he now just had his biggest victory of the career at the US Open, beating uh, Tsitsipas uh, in, in, in an amazing five-set match. So... He was wearing the the wild one, uh, turquoise, and that gave us, of course, huge publicity because he wore it at the end in the interviews. And it's so cool to see, you know, three, four years of supporting, just suddenly one moment, one game, one match really changes uh, a lot for a player. But of course, for us as a, as a, as a sponsor, it was also a, a great moment. And then the second story is um, a couple of weeks ago, Stan Wawrinka, he played in Gstaad. Uh, at the the Swiss tournament, right. and he had reached out on Instagram. Uh, I I didn't know Stan personally, and literally saying, "Hey, cool watch on the turquoise." And compared to Jean Claude's email, there I knew it was him because it's a very fight account. So I, <laughs> I <laughs> so I wrote back, "Listen, uh, you know, amazing career. Would be really happy to meet you once." And he invited me to Gstaad the next day to watch the match. I, I, I organized it, uh, drove up to Gstaad, and I brought him a, a Wild One Turquoise as a gift for his career and literally said, you know, it's amazing all he's done for tennis and, and thank you. And, you know, uh, by the way, you can wear it to play. And that was it. Like, he, he didn't play with it in Gstaad. Uh, he always sent me, like, pictures wearing it in private, right? And telling me that he loves it. And suddenly, I wake up one morning and the friend tells me, hey, Stan's wearing the watch in Cincinnati at the tennis tournament. I said, oh. And he sends me the picture and he's now playing, now also at the US Open, he's actually playing with the wild one on the wrist. So uh, Dominic, he plays a double-handed backhand, so he's not playing with it just because it, he said it, he doesn't like anything on the wrist. Uh, um, but Stan is now wearing it playing and i've been texting him said it's unbelievable he said no i love the watch I'm a, I'm a fan of it and and uh i i, I wanted to wear it to play it brought me luck in cincinnati so i'm, I'm wearing it here too <laughs> so it's it's an unbelievable story for us it's it's quite big here in switzerland at the moment because the two swiss players are both round three are both you know wearing that wild one turquoise and that's that's sort of like this new trend now. I it, I mean, we'll have to give credit where credit's due with Richard Mille and Rafael Nadal, you know, wearing wearing the tourbillons while playing. But it proved to be such a good idea. And what's interesting is it's not you, the brand, pushing it. It's the players now who are like, "Hey, I didn't even know I could do that, but now I can," and they they get a kick out of it, don't they? 
Yeah, well, you know, with Stan, I, I, I honestly don't know. So far, I had more, you know, uh, um, I can say a feedback just from him privately. And now I've been texting him and he says, no, it's so light. It doesn't bother me at all. I, of course, told him, Ingstad, you can wear it to play. But that was more like uh, I didn't expect it. Of course, we don't have yeah. a, a partnership. I, I knew he wouldn't wear it. You know, I wasn't expecting anything from it. I just said, but you could wear it. It's a, it's a shock-resistant watch. And uh, yeah, so at the end, it's it's unbelievable. And that's cool because now, you know, the wild one is really there where it belongs. It's on a wrist where you couldn't put certain products, right? It, it gives us that moment of, hey, okay, but why? Oh, it's a shock-resistant timepiece. That's why it's there. That's why he can wear it, you know? So I'm super thankful. Uh, Stan, if you ever hear this... Uh, Amazing guy, thank you very much. <laughs> and we we're all we're all cheering you on. But uh, it's it's unbelievable, of course, for our company, five year old, to have uh, you know a Swiss legend playing the U.S. Open with our wild one on the wrist. That's that's incredibly fortunate for you, and congratulations. And and I'm thinking about product development and some of these interesting characters. And I'm wondering if there's something to be said about allowing them to have more involvement because you know all of our favorite sport watches historically were made for specific purposes and activities, diving, climbing, flying, whatever. And now a lot of them seem to be designed not for functional purposes, but by a graphic designer. Yeah. And I'm wondering if there's something to be said, you have the special access, you have these people with these very demanding scenarios. Um, I, I don't know if there's the right way of doing it, but isn't there something from a product development story that said this was designed to work well in this scenario? And if it's good enough for this athlete, then maybe it's good enough for you on the weekends? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you look back uh, to, to the wild one, right, and it's actually um, Dean Schneider, who's uh, our our ambassador living yeah. in South Africa with the Lions. We the Lion always, proof watch, we know. Exactly. And we always had his, like his, when we had the mood board, we had his world, his face on the thing. And we said, <laughs> you must imagine that that watch is in that environment, right? So you know, it really helps because you're you're creating, yeah. like you said, you're not just making a design and at the end everybody says oh, in the room, oh, that's a nice watch. You're going to have some edges that maybe are not that nice, but they they are made for that purpose. And that makes you, that gives you that watch that at the end you're really proud and say, hey, it's a functional watch, you know. And, and at the end of the day, you know, Jean-Claude said, we're going to see how the market reacts. But we did what we could do because we put our passion in. We accepted that uh, it's going to be a loud design. It's going to be different. And then the customer decides if he's going to support it. And we're just, you know, super happy. As you know, it was a, a great success in Zermatt already. But now also with the, the new skeleton editions that we brought out, it's it's really great. So um, we're super happy. And thank you to everybody who's been supporting supporting us. It, it, they are pretty great. And I look forward to seeing what's next. Uh, we're almost out of time. And well, we're sort of out of time. But I want to ask one more question I think is important. In the years you've uh, been running Norcane, uh, not that long, you've already attracted a lot of different types of people, from partners to ambassadors uh, to collaborators and friends in the media. You are doing something that is making you or your brand socially magnetic. And I want to know, in your opinion, what is that? Because none of these relationships seems forced. You seem to really genuinely like all the people and the organizations that you've chosen to work with. And I'm wondering what your approach is to that because you seem to have done it in a more authentic and accelerated manner than a lot of the other companies, especially given the company age. 
huge thank you, uh, Ariel, for, for that comment, which obviously, you know, uh, makes me happy because I think what we're doing at Norikane is we love what we do. And I think it, I hope that that's a big reason why, you know, um, when, when we are in the market, uh, if we are with the media, if we are with our suppliers, they enjoy uh, working with us and we really enjoy working with, with everybody. Uh, work is a, is a word I don't often use, to be honest. Uh, I, I just love what I do. Uh, I wake up in the morning, I'm excited to go to the office, I'm excited to see the team to discuss what we're going to do next. Um, I have great support by, by my family, by my wife, and, and, and of course the kids are very proud. They start to realize, you know, Ryan's six, he, he wears the Norcane hat and uh, everywhere we go, he has, he has a comment to make about a timepiece or, or, or whatever he, he just sees. So I think all this together gives like that, that good vibe, that energy dynamic uh, feeling. And I think that's really the reason why, you know, the, the brand is moving forward is we're doing it together. We're not going our own way. Uh, I hope you would agree to say that we're, we're a humble <laughs> bunch of people. Uh, we, we really, uh, we really want to just uh, do our give our very best um, and hopefully in 30 years from here, we can say, hey, you know what we did at 30, uh, we built a brand, a challenger brand, a cool brand, a brand with values, a brand with a long-term vision, a brand that challenged the status quo. That's really why I wake up in the morning and uh, I'm really happy that that you say that, you know, that people can feel that. Ben, thank you so much for um, talking about Norcane. And uh, I really want to encourage people to uh, check out the brand. The way I describe it is uh, cool people that happen to make uh, good watches. Um, and that's really what the appeal has been for me a lot, is that you are in a very warm environment um, that feels like there's a genuine camaraderie. And the watches are very cool and wearable and comfortable um, and do their job well and, uh, are as, as you said, are, are not priced um, outside the realm of reasonableness for the high-quality product you get. The website is norcane.com. Ben, uh, where else can people learn about you and the Norcane brand on the Internet? Well, thank you very much, Ariel, first of all, for, for having me on the podcast. And also, you know, I remember meeting you the first time in LA uh, years back. And uh, it's been a cool journey. So thank you for everything that uh, we've, we've done together. And um, I'm happy that now we finally managed to do a podcast together. Um, for for uh, all our um, supporters, uh, also huge thank you. Um, as Ariel said, of course, on our website, you will find all the, all the news. But we also have a distribution network across the US of uh, over 50 50 stores. A lot of them are, 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 are either, you know, leading groups like Benbridge, Tourno, um, but of course we work uh, a lot with family-owned independent uh, stores like uh, Windsor Jewelry, Brown & Co. Uh, and, and what the, the names are, uh, very thankful for that support. So go check out the collection uh, and I'm quite active on Instagram. If you have any feedback or any questions, uh, I'll happily answer you. So you could always uh, send me a, a message on, on Instagram. This has been the Superlative Podcast with the CEO and co-founder of Norcane, Ben Cooper. Ben, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Have a great day or night. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Superlative Podcast. This show relies on support from you, the audience. Please subscribe, review, and share Superlative with your friends. To get the latest watch news and enthusiast commentary, also listen to the Blog to Watch weekly podcast. For show ideas, 
comments, or business, please contact us at podcasts at a blog to watch.com.